Thank you for having me. Um, I'm here to share my testimony. Um, I uh, started acting when I was three years old. Um, I was discovered in a nail salon um, when I was three. And um, the talent agent um, literally just discovered me, ended up signing me, was my agent for 11 years. So I, you know, didn't seek out the path for myself. God kind of just picked me up and put me on the path at a very early age, which I'm thankful for because it was a continual reminder that it was a God's idea and not a, my idea. Um, and I had a really successful career. Um, I just had, you know, the favor of the Lord. I went from commercials to TV, from TV to movies and, um, got my first big lead role in a movie called Swing Vote opposite Kevin Costner when I was 11. And um, when I got that part, it kind of like put me into a whole new category. Like all of a sudden I'm, you know, one of the bigger fish and I'm going out on bigger things and I'm getting offers for bigger things. And um, when, right after I did Swing Vote, um, I got this offer for a really big movie. And it's kind of like saying the Marvel movie of that time, like I was going to be a lead role superhero. Um, I was going to get a two-picture deal. Um, I was getting a million and a half for the first movie, more for the second. Um, And it was just kind of like God laid out everything before me very quickly. Um, I remember thinking it was a total God thing because actually the way I got that part was because I went in for a different movie and actually did one of the worst auditions I've ever did in my life. Um, And and was leaving the room and the casting director said to me, Madeline, you know, I think, I think there's something in you. And I just wish, you know, if you would go outside and read your lines again and come back in and try again. So I come out, my dad took me to this audition and I remember just crying in the hallway and being like, I'm too embarrassed. I don't want to go back in. I'm going to do horrible again. Well, I went in, um, did it again, end up getting that role. Um, and so from that audition tape, um, the casting director was friends with this big director. So she gave it to him and was like, you need this girl for your movie. So I got a direct offer for that movie because of, you know, something that I had failed so terribly at. So God was just with me. So I really thought that it was a God thing. So we read the script and, um, it was just unbelievably dirty. And, um, I was devastated because I, you know, I'd went and bought the comics and was so excited. Um, and so we asked, you know, before we pass on it, would it be possible if you would just change my language and change my part? And, um, the director was like, yeah, sure, we'll change it. So they changed my stuff and made me not have to say anything bad. So we signed on. And so I go to a church service that night. It was a Wednesday night. And I remember, um, the pastor calling me up from the back to come pray on a little boy that wanted to receive healing in his ears. He couldn't hear. And so I said, um... Okay, so I get up, I come, and I pray on the little boy. And I can't even explain it, really, but I just, I just saw this image of myself, and I was, I, I was, like, speaking, and I was testifying. And I, I just saw that, and I knew in my spirit that I couldn't do that movie. And I come back to my seat, and I knew that I knew that I knew that I wasn't supposed to do it. So I said to my mom, Mom, I think I have to pass on that movie. And she said, okay, why? And I said, well, because I just don't think that it's going to line up with where God's going to take me eventually. And so we ended up passing on the movie. 
And God rewarded it. God rewarded my faithfulness and, um, you know, the things that I did after that. It was unbelievable because it was really like God had set it up for me. I remember um, one of the films I got was a movie with Jim Carrey called Mr. Popper's Penguins. I flew to New York to do the callback, and I get in the elevator with the director by chance. And it was so awkward because I'm about to go in and do an audition for him. Like, what kind of small talk do you do in an elevator like that? And um, he looks at me, and he says, Madeline, I just want you to know that I have set this up up in your favor. And when you go in today, you just have to do exactly what you did because it doesn't matter that there are other girls here. This part is yours. Unbelievable favor of God. God was so good and so faithful to me. And so um, I keep acting, continue climbing, um, you know, starting to have a really amazing career. Um, Pretty much at this point, I'm getting offers only, um, which means I don't have to go audition anymore. And so I'm 15 years old, and I had just did a movie called Machine Gun Preacher with Gerard Butler. And I'm uh, promoting that film, and I remember I was just, like, on this wonderful high horse. Like, so, just so excited. You know, God was moving. I was, you know, one of the the big dogs now. And it was just really a beautiful time. And um, it was literally right after that that everything started changing. So I you know, the offers are coming still, but they're things that I can't do. And I'm no longer playing the daughter, but now, you know, it's, there's all this sex and all this stuff that's coming into the equation in the films that are coming my way. And so I, I'm really starting to get disheartened. So I struggled for about a year and I literally went from here working all of the time to here and literally doing nothing within a year because of my own doing, because I was making choices for the Lord. And so I uh, remember I'm 16 years old and I, I'm just really confused. I don't understand, like, what's happening, how I went from so high to so low so fast, and I'm not seeing the goodness of God anymore. And I said, okay, God, I must be, you know, transitioning into something else. You have something else for me, and I just really need to press in and listen for what that is. So I went on a fast, and the first day of my fast, I'm praying, and I'm like, Lord, if you don't want to be an actress, whatever, I won't be an actress anymore. Whatever it is that you want me to do, I'll do that. And so I... um, I read Isaiah 43. I'd never read Isaiah 43 before in my life. The Lord literally just dropped it on me. And I remember reading it and thinking to myself, okay, I'm about to go into a hard season rather than come out of a hard season. And Isaiah 43 is a really long chapter, but it's a really beautiful chapter. And I would encourage you to read it because it says, when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned. And when you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. For behold, I am with you. And then at the very end, it says, behold, I do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And I just knew when I read it that I was going into a hard time. It didn't really give me, it gave me peace in a strange way because I was saying to the Lord, I'm willing, God. I see that this is going to be hard. I understand that it's going to be hard, but I am willing because at the very end, you're going to do something new and you're going to be there and that's all I need to know. And so I take a walk down the beach and I'm, I, uh, I'm praying as I walk and I see this guy building a sandcastle. And I mean, this sandcastle was the most intricate thing I have ever seen in my life. There were rooms, windows, you don't even know. And I said to myself, why would you bother? Like, why is this guy even taking the time to do that? Because, you know, the tide's going to come in and wash it away. So I go continue on my walk, and then I come back. And when I come back, there's literally, like, 30 people surrounding this thing, taking pictures of it. And the guy who designed it's gone. And the Lord spoke to me, and he spoke to me so profoundly. And he said, Madeline, that's exactly what I want to do with your life. I want to design it and take my time and make it something that people will gather around and say, oh, my goodness, look what the Lord has done. And so I said, okay, God, I'm willing. All right, here we go. So 16, 17, 
18, now 19 years old. I wish I could tell you that I did unbelievable things and, you know, God (laughs) moved uh, insanely, but I didn't. I struggled. I continued to struggle. I went and moved from different agencies and really had a hard time, so much so that casting directors that had knew me my whole life, um, when I would go in to see them, would say, oh, my gosh, we thought you quit. We thought that you quit acting. We, where have you been? Like, it was so bad. And so I um, just really went through a hard, hard season of just questioning, doubting, trying to hang on to what the Lord told me. Literally, if you peeled back my flesh and looked at my soul, you would see scars from hanging on to the promise of God so tightly when I did not see it. And so I said to myself, all right, God, you know, this doesn't make sense, but I'm going to keep going. Finally, 19 years old, I get a phone call from my manager, and there was this TV show that they wanted me to do. And I knew when I read it that it wasn't something that I should do, and I passed on it. And she said, Madeline, you know, are you sure this is a really great opportunity? You know, all the money, and it's going to put you into the limelight and all this stuff. And I said, yeah, I just don't think that I'm supposed to do it. And she said, why? And I said, well, I just don't feel like it. And I think, you know, let me hang up and say a prayer before I officially pass. She said, who are you going to pray to? I said, to God. She said, he's not going to answer you, literally. And I said to myself, all righty. So I I hang up the phone, and I prayed, and I knew I wasn't supposed to do it. I call back, and um, I I officially passed. And she said to me, gently, but she said to me, Madeline, I don't know what to tell you because now you're an adult, and now you've transitioned into being an adult, and this is all there is for you. This is all there is. If you're not okay with doing nudity and things like that, I honestly don't know what to tell you because this is all there is. So I literally felt like I was like just cornered in a box and there's no way that God could possibly move. So I hang up the phone and I'm like pacing in my living room and I didn't want my family to see me cry. I didn't want my family to see me upset. So I walked into the bathroom and I got on my hands and knees and I said, I can't do this anymore. God, I can't hang on one moment longer. This is not fair what you've done to me. This is not fair that you have let me do this for five years now, and I have not seen any results of it. I don't understand. God, my heart's broken. I said, God, did I mishear you when I was 16 at the beach? Did you not tell me that you were going to do a new thing? Did you mean that I was supposed to do something else? And I said, God, if I'm meant to be a dentist, whatever you want me to do, I'll do that for you. And I said, I'm sorry, God, that I stepped out of line, obviously, because this doesn't make sense. And I said, I'm going to quit, and I, I'm going to call my agents, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell them that I'm not doing this anymore. Literally, 19 years of acting, 19 years of chasing a dream down was all going down the tube. And I stood up to my feet, and literally, I can't even explain it as anything else other than the Holy Spirit, pulled me back down to my knees, and I continued to pray. And I said, but God, if you still have called me here, and this is still what you want from me, then I'm willing, God, and that's fine, and I'll keep fighting. But God, you have to send me something. And I said, better yet, send me something that would edify you, and that's how I'll know that I'm still meant to be here. And I I stood up, and I prayed that prayer, I think, on like 4-7-2016. And on 4-8-2016, I got an email from a director who then ended up calling me. And it was a Friday night, and he said to me, Madeline, I don't know why, and I don't know if you don't even remember me, but last year you came in an audition for me, and I've never forgotten you, and for some reason, the Lord has put you so heavy on my heart tonight, and I really strongly believe that you're meant to be in my next faith-based film. 
Look at God. How good is he? How faithful is he? And so from that, I can only imagine happened like two months later. And then from I can only imagine that little prayer and that little thought that I had when I was 11 years old, that image of myself testifying is exactly what I've gotten to do since I can only imagine. And so I'm so grateful to the Lord for all that he has done and how good he is and how he's so mindful. I just, when we were worshiping today, I just kept hearing the Lord say, tell them how mindful I am. God is so mindful. Even the prayers that we can't make into a prayer, the groanings that God turns into a prayer, he holds them all. And it may take time because so many things in the Bible, it says in the process of time, in the process of time, God made something happen. Things take time, but my goodness, is it so worth it? And the things of God will continue to bear fruit. And that is what he's did with my life. And so I hope that that encouraged you today, whether you're waiting on a healing or your marriage is maybe not in a good place or whatever it is that you're asking of God, know today that God is mindful. He is so mindful and he doesn't forget. Sometimes we even forget the things that we've asked of God. But he never forgets, and he has them. God bless you guys. You guys doing good? The, the great thing about speaking after Madeline Carroll is, like, even if my message is horrible, that was so good, like, we already got fed. So, like, that takes all the pressure. Can we give Mads a big round of applause? That was so good. So good. It was amazing. And uh, I just want to say something about Jeff Gill. Every time I'm around Jeff, I just, I don't know, I don't think he's around here somewhere, but I just get so happy. I mean, he's one of those people that when you get around him, you get a soul suntan because he's just a lump of sunshine, right? Like, he just has this joy emanating from him, and um, I hope that, that I can have joy like that and emanate that kind of love and hope to the people around me. And the Bible says give honor to whom honor is due. And can we give a lot of honor and a big round of applause to Pastor Jeff Gill. We really love him. <clears throat> I want to talk to you today about overcoming anxiety. Would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12? A friend of mine a few weeks ago um, texted me a report done by CNN that, uh, that let everybody know that since the year 1999, the suicide rate has increased by 33%. And when I read that, I, my brain reeled. Because if you think about that, in the last 20 years, the suicide rate has increased by 33% compared to 1999. That means compared to 1999, an extra one out of every three people will kill themselves per capita. 33%. Like, this is an epidemic. This is a national crisis somebody's got to do something about this. We have social activists trying to cure HIV. We have medical scientists trying to cure cancer. We need sacred optimists who are going to cure the disease of suicide. We need hope dealers in a city that has a bunch of dope dealers. Can I get an amen? Like, like we need people who are going to spread joy. And, and I want to talk to you today about how we can overcome anxiety and depression. I want to talk about how we can have joy as well. But this will require a new perspective. I genuinely believe that outlook determines outcome. And when your outlook gets bleak, you've got to try the uplook. Because if you change the way you look at things, things will change the way they look. Because the problem is never the problem. The problem is our perception about the problem. And our hopelessness about a problem is a bigger problem than our problem. And when our problem's too big for us, it's just the right size for God. And our praise will be a problem for our problems. So we have to have a checkup from the neck up, get rid of stinking thinking, have an attitude of gratitude and have a whole new mindset. We got to change this thing. It's all up here. It's all up here. The Bible says in 1 Peter, gird up the loins of your mind and rest your hope fully upon the grace. 
So we've got we've to change our mindset. Lamentations 3 said, This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It's because of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Paul said, Take your thoughts captive. Proverbs says, as, this is a big one, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So your neurological activity determines your destiny and identity. And so we want to change our perspective. And we're going to do that today to overcome our anxiety. This is what Proverbs 12.25 teaches. Are you guys there? Okay. Is everyone awake? Okay, sweet. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. So where does depression come from? Let's read it again. Anxiety in the heart causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. We live in a very, very anxious generation. Part of it is because of this thing. Like, I'm so thankful for technology and all the good ways we can use it, but the fact of the matter is, Science shows us that people will spend 14 years on their phone over the course of a lifetime. Did you know that uh, the same dopamine loop that's triggered by gambling is triggered when you get texts, likes, notifications, and emails? So, you know that familiar sound? You know what I'm talking about? It's like Pavlov's dogs. When you hear that, there's a psychological response and a dopamine loop's triggered in your brain and that's why it's addictive because apparently when you gamble, you put a coin in the slot machine, you don't know if you're going to win or if you're going to lose and that's the rush. So too, when it comes to social media, when you get a notification, you don't know if it's a good text or a bad text. You don't know if it's a good email or a negative email. You don't know if they commented something positive on your social media or something negative. And so it's like this dopamine rush of addiction. And so we live in a culture that's very anxious. That's what sociological research is now telling us. One of the chief reasons Gen Z and Gen Y is the most depressed generation on record is because of social media. We're comparing our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reels. Like, I'm watching everyone else party when I'm stuck at a red light watching their Instagram story. And they're watching the best part of my day when they're alone in their bed feeling, you know, sad. And they're just with a glowing screen. And then I'm living it up. And we're comparing our behind the scenes with each other's highlight reels at unfair intervals. And I'm comparing my fake photos with their fake photos. And it's, like, really depressing. (laughs) And the truth is, like, this is causing anxiety. This is causing depression. We pull out our phone once every six minutes, 150 times per day. And so... We need a new, a new mentality. So let's talk about anxiety. Uh, anxiety is not just a spiritual battle. It is. It's also a psycho-spiritual, physiological battle. Let me explain. Did you know that fear, so when you have anxiety, stress, worry, and fear, it actually affects your body. Fear releases more than 1,400 known physical and chemical reactions in the body and triggers more than 30 different hormones and neurotransmitters. So Fear is actually bad for your health. Two of the typical diseases of modern life, the coronary thrombosis and stomach ulcers, are often the derivative and result of stress, fear, anxiety, and worry. Five times in Matthew 6, Jesus said, do not worry. Why? Because the only thing worry changes is your blood pressure. He said, which of you by worrying can add a cubit to your stature? If you could, we'd all be 23 feet tall. Worry's like a rocking chair, my dad always says. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. And so this worry affects our bodies. It causes depression. Anxiety in the heart causes depression. And and here's the reality. Like, it definitely is a spiritual battle, 
But sometimes I think we forget that it's also just like physical and practical. Here's what I mean. There's this story of a prophet named Elijah, a hairy guy, a bald guy, who would, I guess, walk around in his robe just calling down Dragon Ball Z like fireballs from heaven. And he was calling down fire from heaven as he was competing against 850 prophets of Baal in the groves, respectively. And after he defeats them and proves that Jehovah's God, not Baal, in the story, Jezebel, who, the Bible says she'd paint her face. So I just picture like this evil clown. She, would, she, she chased Elijah in a chariot. So she, she chases him in a chariot, and this bald, hairy prophet outruns the chariot. So this old, gray-headed, perhaps, bald, hairy prophet is girding up his loins, like girding up his skirt or whatever, and outrunning a chariot. I can't wait to see that DVD. But he ends up in a cave, and, and after he does this great prayer battle against the prophets of Baal in the groves, he ends up in a cave, and he says, Lord, take my life. I am no better than my father's. Everyone has bowed the knee to Baal. When just before that, in 1 Kings 18, we're told that everyone bowed to Yahweh and said, the Lord, he is God. And yet Elijah wasn't thinking clearly. He said, Lord, everyone's bowed the knee to Baal, and then God would correct him later. He's like, actually, there's thousands that haven't. And he says, I'm no better than my fathers. I want to die. Now, what did God do? God sent angels to feed him after Elijah prayed to him, and he gave Elijah a nap. He put Elijah to sleep. So what I think is so interesting about that is like God didn't do some complex spiritual intervention where he sent a, like a preacher to give him a Bible study. He didn't, he didn't say, Elijah, I, I want you to memorize X number of Bible verses. He didn't say battle demons in prayer. He said, take a nap for crying out loud. <laughs> like you could face 850 prophets of Baal in the groves and yet one angry woman sends you running. Take a nap, dude. He gives him food, he gives him, an, and it's funny, like God would, God fed Elijah. When Elijah was in his moment of faith, like ravens fed him. How sick would that be? You're like hungry and you're like, I'm not going to call Domino's Pizza, just ravens are feeding you to go food from their beaks. And then he's in his moment of doubt and God does provision 2.0 because God sometimes works more through our doubt than our faith. In our weakness, he's strong. And he starts sending angels to feed Elijah. I don't know what that must have tasted like, but it must have been like angel food cake or something. It, it like would have tasted like hope feels. It would taste like love without the fear of love's dissolution. I mean, it would have just been fantastic. So Elijah eats. After he prays, he takes a nap. Listen, I think sometimes when it comes to anxiety, we can't over-spiritualize it. Don't get me wrong. It is a spiritual battle. But I think sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but I can get lost in the labyrinthine nexus of my own thoughts. In my gray matter, my psychological constitution, my cranial package starts to go sideways. And I'll be like, God, I am so anxious right now. I can't find the answers to anything. Like, like what is the theory of everything? If I could only know how uh, quantum gravity is occasioned, and if I could only reconcile quantum mechanics with astrophysics, and I want to know, like, the weak nuclear force binding together, or uh, uh, controlling radioactive decay, and the strong nuclear force binding together the atomic nuclei, and if I could only understand better electromagnetism, which controls, ra- uh, controls the um, binding together molecules and gravity, which binds together bulk matter, and if we could get Werner Heisenberg's mathematical models to reconcile with these astrophysical 
theory of relativity equations that Einstein penned. But but Heisenberg said you can't predict both the position and momentum of a quantum particle simultaneously. And for some reason, we can't bind together the large with the small. And in the initial singularity, when all the four fundamental laws of physics were one and then burst into a Higgs field, and now our quantum particles slow down from light speed to accrue mass, but we don't really know what anything is. God, what are the answers? What do I do? God's like, take a nap, dude. Take a nap. (laughs) There are very few things that a good meal, a good nap, and a good prayer time won't solve. Can I get an amen? So that's what happened with Elijah. Listen, Jesus spent just as much time healing people's bodies as he did did teaching their souls. And I think if you're not eating good, if you're not sleeping right, did you? This is wild. Listen to this. When you read church history and you read about these, like, Christians who would wake up at 4 a.m. to pray, you're like, man, they, those Puritans were so much more holy than, than we are. But what you have to remember is that was pre-industrial revolution before Tesla and Edison would control a conduit of electrons and create the light bulb. So back before the industrial revolution, pre-enlightenment, what would happen is people would go to bed when the sun went down because, like, what else are you going to do? Like, when the sun goes down, you go to bed. And so... They, b- before the Industrial Revolution, listen, people on average were getting 10 to 11 hours of sleep every night. Now, we get on average 7 hours of sleep every night. So, we're sleeping less. We're not always taking care of ourselves. And then we wonder why we have all this anxiety. Here's the thing. I want to tell you how to overcome anxiety. The way that you overcome anxiety and depression is by letting God love the heavens right into you. When you know that the prime mover, the source, the principle behind which you cannot go, the causeless cause, the creator of the initial singularity, the origins from whence the universe springs, the mystery, God himself, when you know that the divine loves you and cares for you, you can just sit there and let God love the heavens right into you. That love will cast out all fear. Perfect love casts out fear, 1 John 4 says. God is love. The secret to overcoming depression and anxiety is letting God love you. Let me tell you this. God really loves you. Guess what you have to earn? Nothing. Guess what you have to do? Nothing. Yay, God. Woo to the who. Enjoy the joy of being enjoyed by God. You don't have to behave to get saved. You just believe and receive. You can't do enough good things to get God. You can't do enough bad things to lose God. On your worst day with God, you're better off than on your best day without God. And when you're going through your worst, God is planning his best. He loves you. He loves you. He would go to the ends of the earth, even across, to prove it to you. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. And let me show you this. Watch this. Jesus says, are we preaching yet? Are we cooking with gas? Okay. He really loves you. He really does. You don't have to earn anything. <gasps> you wake up in the morning, guess what you have to prove? Nothing. You go to church, you didn't earn any brownie points by coming to church today. The reason you came to church is because you can go to a psychiatrist to talk about your mind. You can go to a therapist to talk about your body. You come to church because you're doing soul work today. You're not earning anything. Listen, you don't have to earn anything. This is what Jesus said. He said that, I love, this is one of my favorite verses right now. He said, the father loves you so much that God counts the number of hairs on your head. Now that's a lot. You want to know how many hairs you have? 
It's been computed that statistically, numerically, the average redhead has 90,000 hairs. The average dark-haired person or brunette has 120,000 hairs. And the average blonde has 145,000 hairs. God counts every one. Now imagine you go up to a girl and you're like, excuse me, you have 93,482 hairs. I've been watching. <laughs> She'd be like, I am never talking to you again. You're obsessed. It's like, I was reading the book of numbers and I realized I don't have yours. <laughs> you and me, we're like loaves and fishes. We might just be a miracle together. The Bible says give food to the hungry and drink to the thirsty. So how about dinner tonight? Let's be biblical. Let's be like Noah and do this as a pair. Now I realize why Solomon had a thousand wives and concubines because he never met you. You must be an Egyptian because I am a slave for you. Listen, next time a guy says to you, did it hurt when you fell? You know that one? Did, Did it hurt when you fell from heaven? Just say, what do you call me, a demon fool? But anyways... It's like if somebody comes up to you and they counted your hairs, you would run the other way because, because they'd be obsessed. And yet, God is so obsessed with you that he counts your hairs. Now, now, this is a God who has better things to do than count my hairs. Like, this is a God who, the Bible says in the Old Testament, he would count the stars. Now, how many stars is there? I'm glad you asked. There are 100 billion stars in our galaxy. Two trillion galaxies are known. There are more stars than sounds that have ever been uttered by all the humans to ever live. There are more stars in space than seconds have passed since the earth formed. There are more stars in space than any, all the grains of sand on any seashore. God counts the stars, the psalm says, and Isaiah and Psalms teach that he calls the stars by name. So SO2, Canis Majoris, Epsilon, Antares. He's actually G2 dwarf, Canis Majoris. He's calling the stars by name and he's counting them. That's the Old Testament. Now watch. The New Testament is that this God who counts the stars, now he counts your hairs. This God who calls the stars by name, the New Testament says that the good shepherd knows his sheep by name. So the God who counts the stars, the God of the cosmic, is also the God of the microscopic. He counts your hairs. The God who is the God of the infinite is also the God of the intimate. He calls the stars by name, but he also calls his sheep by name. The, the God that we worship is not just big. He's very loving. He's very loving. He loves you. You are his pearl of great price. Turn with me to Philippians 4, 6 as we begin our initial descent. How's everybody doing so far? <laughs> We doing okay? This is a fun group. Who says 9 a.m. is sleepy? Nobody. You guys don't play. Okay, Philippians 4, 6. By the way, just quick fact about the Bible since you're turning in your Bible places. The Bible was written on three different continents over a period of 1,500 years. Even if you're not like a believer here today, I want to tell you this book that you're studying has incredible literary merit. I mean, if it takes 1,500 years to write a book, you know it has weight. It was written on three different continents, and uh, it was written by about 40 different authors. And this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, at least right now. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, 
be anxious. Everyone say, be anxious. For nothing. Everyone say, for nothing. (laughs) But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. Everyone say, peace of God. Which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I love how (laughs) Paul says he's writing from prison. He says, because he got canned more than tuna. He says... He actually wrote, like, I'm in prison more frequently than anybody. He writes, be anxious for nothing. Why? Because in Romans 5, listen, in Romans 5, let's correlate the text and juxtapose them. He said, we glory also in tribulation because tribulation produces patience, patience, experience, experience, hope, and hope never maketh ashamed because the love of God spread abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. What he's saying is pain makes you stronger. Tears make you braver. Heartbreak makes you wiser. And one day you're going to thank your past for a better future. When you walk with, talk to, follow after, lean into, depend upon, and live for the God of hope, he takes situations that are painful, converts them into pain fuel, and drives you onto your destiny. So Paul says, we glory in tribulation. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you, you're like, my car broke down. Yes. When's the last time you're like, she dumped me. Thank you, God. When's the last time somebody sent a negative email and you're like, yay, God. Paul says, we glory in tribulation because he knows that no pain is wasted. He knows that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, experience, and experience hope. So he says, count it all joy. That's what James says, count it all joy. So that's why Paul's like, I'm not, just don't be anxious for anything. Be a non-anxious presence in the world. How do we do this? Well, he tells us, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and requests. So it all comes down to the presence. Everything's about the presence. What I'm doing this morning or attempting to do is not like this. I'm trying to do this and invite you in. This is not a, 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 a horizontal thing. This is a vertical thing. Like I love speaking to my own soul in the presence of God, and I want to invite you in. It's about the presence. And Paul says, that's where it's at. When I lift up my requests to him, my prayers, my supplications, I thank him. In this this prayer time, I get peace that passes understanding. Want to know something insane? Did you know that scientists have now found that when you pray about your hopes, your fears, and your dreams, it has the same effect on your brain as therapy. (laughs) So I love how, like, science is now catching up to what the Bible said a long time ago. Like, Paul literally just said that. Science is like, yes, that is actually true, psychologically. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a therapist. I have a couple times. And I'm, I'm all for good psychologists, psychiatrists, therapy, of course. But I don't know if you've ever been to a bad therapy session. Like, I've been to one. And, uh, Nice guy, but, like, he, he called me Little Ben. And I'm like, okay, dude, like, the problem is, is I've read these books you're quoting at me, so what are we going to, Little Ben, are we going Freudian, like, Oedipus Complex, Adler Power Grabs, Victor Frankl's Logotherapy, Cyclothymia, Hyperthymia, Dysthymia. Like, I'm not a mark, I'm not a target, I'm a human. Like, talk to me like a human, you know what I mean? And I don't know if you've ever been to a bad therapy session, and you're just like, man, I, this isn't giving me peace. Well, here's the thing. 
Science shows talking to God about your hopes, fears, and dreams has the same effect on your brain as therapy. But here's the thing. His therapy is free. So you didn't like drop 500 bucks and you're like, shoot. (gasps) You're like, oh gosh. No, no, it's free. But here's the thing. Isaiah says God is a wonderful counselor. I'm glad you got that because that was big. He's a wonderful counselor. I have, honestly, I've never got back from a prayer time and I'm like, shoot, that was a waste. Every single time I've, I've drawn near to God, he draws near to you. I'm going to talk, we draw near to God, he draws near to us. Um, as, I, as I do start to close, preachers get at least three, but I'm on my second, but I think we are closing. Uh, let me see what I, I want to say. Okay. Um, this is big. I'm just going to talk from my heart about this. So I had depression for 10 years and I like almost committed suicide and, and God healed me. And so the number one question I get asked is like, Ben, how did you overcome depression? Like anxiety in the heart causes depression. What's the good word that will make me glad? Like, how do you get peace instead of anxiety? And this is the number one thing. Like I actually wrote about it in Optimisfits. I went into it. And by the way, you saw that book trailer earlier. I forgot to mention that. I'll be back there afterwards. And I'd love to write hope notes in your book. Um, if you get Optimist Fits, by the way, the money doesn't go to me. Like when you buy a book, the royalties just go right back into Hope Generation to get this message out there. But I did write about an Optimist. It's a bunch of things. Like one of the things is friends. I used to get really isolated and then God brought a bunch of friends into my life and I saw that life could be fun again. Like you could skateboard and have joy and that was big. Um, I saw like not presenting an image to the world that's not who you are. Like I don't feel very pastory. I'm not... I'm just not like super pastory. I like to send and I like to have fun and I like to have joy. And so I stopped trying to be like the super sober, serious, somber saint and just be who I am. And that's where a lot of joy started to come from. There's a lot of things and, and I write about it, but I want to talk about the number one, the promises of God have been huge for me. I think, did we go over that when I was here on a midweek a few months ago? I think I might've just spoke the promises of God over you if I remember correctly. But be that as it may, this is the number one thing. Are you ready? Are you ready? <laughs> the number one thing I want to share with you, because people are impressed by our strengths, they connect with our weaknesses. Like your scars become your stars, your wounds become your wisdom if you, you know, share your experience. So, so this is what, what's worked for me. Ready? Okay, I walk out the door and I go for a walk. There's something about walking. The Bible says God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. The Bible says Enoch walked with God and was translated up. God said to Abraham, walk before me. Paul said, walk in newness of life. Hebrew says, walk by faith. The Bible says, walk in the spirit. Paul said, walk worthy of the calling you've received. And I just like to go for a walk. Now, science has showed that when you go on three walks per week for 30 minutes at a brisk pace, it increases your hippocampus's ability to retain memory. So you have better memory when you go for walks. So I, I go on a walk and I just start talking to God. About what? Well, I wish I was spiritual and could say, I pray about missionaries in Zimbabwe and orphans in Gambia. But for me, it's just like, God, I'm having girl problems. <laughs> God, did, I, I'm trying to run this team, but this employee is very difficult to w- work with right now. What do I do? God, in a year from now, I'd really like to see this happen in my life. Like, here's a dream. God, you're such a good friend. Like, you're always, you're always there. And you just start, I just talk to him about my hopes, my fears, and my dreams. And every single time, like my family, if I have a nervous breakdown, I'm like, what do I do? They're like, pray, Ben. People are like, well, Ben, I don't, I don't know how to pray. How do I pray? Do you know how to talk? <laughs> Fantastic. 
Go do it. Do you know how to talk? I don't know why we think like, oh, thou holy almighty God, in the name of Jesus. It's just like, Jesus said, I call you, I call you friends, not servants. Abraham was a friend of God. God talked to Moses face to face like a man would speak to his friend. And you just talk like you would to your, he's, you're chill with the almighty, you're best with the maker. You just talk to your almighty friend. And you know what happens? Paul promises this. Peace comes. You see, but Ben, if I like go on walks and talk out loud, people are going to think I'm nuts. Well, here's the thing. Put a Bluetooth in your ear and people will think you're talking on the phone. So, (laughs) works great. (laughs) So, the, the longer, the longer I live, the more I want to do something that matters. And, I want you to get the presence. That's it. That's the one thing I want you to walk away with. How do I get peace instead of anxiety? It's the presence. The presence. The presence. Would you rather spend 14 years on your phone or 14 years in the presence getting power? You can either get people's pity or you can go to the Prince of Peace and get his power. Here's the thing. You can gossip to God. It's super sick. Like, you're like, God, I, like, you know the psalmist, like, break his teeth, Lord. You're like, God, do you know what he said about me behind my back? That's so unfair. God's not like, he did? God's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. That is a juicy piece of gossip. I didn't know. I'm scandalized. No, God's like, yeah, I know. The psalmist said, I pour all my complaint before God. Listen, you can either complain to people and get their pity, or you can bring your complaint to the Prince of Peace and get his power. But you can't have both at the same time you got to have a cathartic therapeutic outlet. I just want to lead you to the presence, to the presence, to the presence, my friends. That's where the peace is, the presence. Everyone say the presence. Everyone say peace. Peace. It passes understanding. It, It like bypasses your understanding. It's not something your understanding can create. It's not in Greek. It's literally your, your understanding cannot fabricate peace. It just bypasses your understanding. And after a good prayer time, you're like, Wow, I have peace. Seek first the kingdom of God every day and everything else will be added to you. So be anxious for nothing, my friends, because your fire does not burn you. Your fire forges you. And God is a consuming fire who will never burn what you are. He only burns what you are not. So turn your cares into prayers. Turn your stresses into supplications. Turn your worries into worship. Turn your fear into faith in your father. Turn your panic into praise and peace will come. Come on. That's how we live. We live in the presence. We spread the presence. We emanate the presence. We reflect the presence. We image the presence of God because that's where the life is, my friends. It's all about the presence. Let's pray. We love you, Lord. Oh, you're really good to us. Life can be hard and not all things are good, but all things work together for the good because you're really good. You're really good. We love you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's all stand and worship together.